Today's episode is sponsored by ANSI Labs. ANSI Labs is a Colorado-based game publisher best known for inventing the Fidget Cube in 2016. And now, they're back on Kickstarter. In the times before the Divide, the inhabitants of the Veiled Forest existed harmoniously. The seasons came and went each year, and there was peace among all creatures that made these woodlands their home. But one morning, at the very edge of the winter solstice's arrival, all of this changed. Storm the Gate Woodland Warfare is a handcrafted tabletop dexterity game in which you must rapidly move your army of heroes into your opponent's battle camp. It can be learned in seconds and is a frantic, laugh-inducing addition to any game night. Storm the Gate Woodland Warfare is currently live on Kickstarter and it's fully funded, so now is your chance to pledge at a discounted price. Visit ANSYLabs.com or text ANSY, A-N-T-S-Y, to 900-900 for more information. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, today we're getting into the numbers. We're getting into the nitty-gritty. We're talking about business. We're talking about accounting, all the different things you need to be thinking about if you're a game designer, if you want to do a Kickstarter, if you want to start your own publishing company, all the different facets of accounting and everything that goes into it. And we're talking to Justin Marty from Anders CPA and Advisors in St. Louis. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Doing well, sir. Really excited to get you on. I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while. Because this is a topic that I feel like most people listening to this don't know anywhere near enough about. I know I don't, right? And and they probably have lots of questions. And it's not necessarily easy to find this information online. You, you probably can, but it's going to take you a while to kind of gather everything. So I wanted to have just a podcast episode full, just overflowing with information for people, whether they're just designing games, whether they want to do a Kickstarter, whether they want to do a, their own company, all those different things. And so I'm really just pumped to get your thoughts, your ideas. You've been working with people like Jamie Stegmaier for a long time. You've been working with people who do, do Kickstarters, who you know, do game design, have their own companies. So you are the expert to talk to. But before we get into the topic, who are you? How'd you get into accounting? How'd you get into working with Kickstarter creators? All that kind of thing. Well, you know, basically ever since I was younger, you know, I, I've been good with numbers. So of course, you know, when I went to college, you know, that accounting is kind of the first thing that I, uh, was attracted to and it turns out I was pretty good at it so uh, so I went to uh, University of Missouri St. Louis here in uh, in St. Louis and um, as soon as I graduated I started with uh, a firm Huber Ringhelm and then we actually merged with another firm AMD to form Anders and I've been with the, the company since 2008 and I mean it, it's been completely fantastic uh, I started working with both board game and Kickstarter, Kickstarter clients, uh, I think it was back in 2013. And, you know, it was fairly new to us back then. And there wasn't too much guidance. And there still really isn't too much guidance out there from the IRS. So it kind of created a lot of unknowns for us. And we were able to, to work through them. And I've been interested in working with Kickstarter clients since then, just mainly because there's not a lot of information, like you said, available out there. So I feel like we're, we could be a very big help to a lot of these new companies who are just looking for, for guidance and uh, just the, the right path to go down to. Yeah, definitely. And full disclosure for people listening, uh, Justin is actually helping him, helping me with my taxes and helping me make sure I'm paying all the right fees and, and taxes to the government for my uh, game uh, publishing company. So just letting people know that on the front end. Uh, and I think that hopefully is, is a, a good statement that I trust you. I, I have you here not because I was told that you're pretty good, but I've been experiencing it personally. And so I'm really just excited to get into all the ins and outs of these things. But when we're talking about accounting, when it comes to game design, what are we really talking about? Help me understand the scope of what all that entails. Just kind of give me like a good little working definition. When someone says accounting in the game design business or game publishing business, what all does that cover? I mean, when it just the accounting aspects just takes into account basically the financial records, uh, your your profit and loss statement, your balance sheet, um, 
your, your trial balance, how to get, you know, your full scope of accounting there. It's not related to necessarily the, the tax return itself. Uh, in order to prepare the tax return, we need a full set of financials. So the accounting is basically taking the numbers and putting them into a readable format. Gotcha. All right. So let's just jump right in. I want to talk, like I mentioned in the intro, a few different angles of this. And let's start off with people who are only designing games. They don't have any interest in you know, having their own publishing company or Kickstarter or anything like that. So let's look at, but let's break that down even a little bit more. What does someone who's just getting into game design, they haven't signed any games, you know, they haven't you know, been able to make any money, so to speak, from signing contracts or anything. What are some things they need to be thinking about, though, as far as the accounting side of things, as far as their taxes? You know, can they write stuff off yet? Are there some gray areas in there? But if they're designing games, just starting out, maybe the first year, couple years, few years of doing it, what do they need to be thinking about from an accounting standpoint? Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to still track all your expenses. You you're, and you would want to be organized as a, as a company, you know, whether you're still going to be an LLC, uh, a, a corporation, uh, you know, an LLC organized as a partnership. You know, there's various types of entities. So, you know, entity selection before you do anything is kind of your your first thing you need to think about. And depending on various circumstances, you know, everybody's different. So... You know, that would be the first thing you need to figure out is what type of entity suits your company the best. And, you know, different entities have different costs associated with them, different administrative costs, uh, maybe additional return. Um, you know, a single member LLC is mainly going to be just a Schedule C reported on that individual's 1040. But if you have uh, multiple members, then you have a partnership and a whole separate return. And if you have a corporation, then, of course, you, you're going to have uh, either an S-Corp or a C-Corp return. So there's a, additional costs with those. But, yeah, I mean, if you're basically, if, if you're in the process of trying to make a profit, you know, and actively seeking business, then, you know, you would definitely want to keep track of all your, your expenses. And, you know, there will be, you know, a filing requirement. Determining the deductibility of those expenses, you know, also varies. Uh, they might be startup expenses, and those could include, you know, some advertising, some uh, potentially even some wages, you know, and, you know, you're going to have organizational costs, which are your legal fees, some, some attorney uh, CPA fees. So the deductibility of those varies. So, you know, each... You could have potentially up to $5,000 of items deducted and then potentially have to amortize the rest of those costs. Okay, gotcha. And so somebody listening to this that maybe just got into game design yesterday, right? They've only been doing a few months, six months. They're just getting their feet wet. What, what's your advice as far as when they should start thinking about starting an LLC or a business? When should they start kind of going down the legal path to do that? Maybe they hadn't even decided they want to do that. Maybe it's just a hobby. Like at what point do they need to really start thinking about incorporating as a business, even just as game design, even if you're not going to publish your own games. But when when does that decision have to be made? Well, I mean, potentially not even incorporating, you know, just being um, organized maybe as, as an entity. You know, if you're incorporating, then you're going to be a corporation. But there's other different types of, of entities, you know, whether it's partnership or a single member LLC. But, I mean, I think if your motive is to make profit, to have to have some sort of profit, you would want to think about that right away. So, and I, I'm assuming most people, when they start, you know, their, their companies, their, their main goal is to, to earn money and to make a profit and be profitable for a long term. Um, again, there may, there, there might be some circumstances where it's a, a one and done, but so, I mean, entity classification is something you probably want to think of about right away. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And so let's talk about those different entities Give me the pros and cons of each, each type. Tell me what they are exactly. Let's start off, what exactly is an LLC and why would it be a good idea for a game designer to start one, to organize one of those? You know, a, a limited liability company is, you know, it could be, uh, which is an LLC, it could be a single member, it could be multi-member. And, you know, if it's, if it's single member, then it's just going to be taxed on your, your Schedule C. If it's multi-member, it's going to be a partnership return. So, of course, it, the main benefit of that is 
of limited liability and the name, you know. So, and that's more of a, a protection standpoint uh, in regards to, to legal action, you know. So, which is not, you know, my area of, of expertise. You know, that's that's more attorney wise, you know. But that's the the main benefit there is a kind of a separation from you and the company itself. Uh, now, you know, the, the benefits are, you know, that. If especially if it's single member, it, there's very low administrative costs there. Uh, it's just taxed on your Schedule C of your 1040. Uh, the downside of that is all your income that flows through either your Schedule C or the, the 1065 Schedule K1 is subject to self-employment taxes. So basically your, your Social Security and Medicare portion, you're, you're basically paying double tax. You're paying 15.3%. So basically, if you get like a, just a, a regular W-2 from an employer, you know, you have your, your Social Security and Medi- Medicare tax withholding. And then the company also has to match that. So if you have a partnership, all that Schedule K-1 earnings are subject to self-employment tax. So you're, you're paying both basically your portion and the company's portion on your individual tax return on your 1040. Gotcha. And what's the best way to kind of keep track of how much you owe the government? And I guess you're only you're only paying on any profits made as well, correct? So help me understand that. Yes, you're the basically the, the profits of the company are passed through to you. If say it's a partnership, it's passed through to you on a Schedule K one. Uh, and again, you know the good thing is your distributions from from a single member LLC or a partnership are tax free to the extent that you have basis in that entity. Uh, but yeah, your, your ordinary income is going to be taxed on your individual income tax return. It flows through and it's subject to self-employment tax there. Again, if, if you decide to, to basically, you can, you can actually file an S election if you're an LLC and be taxed as an S corp, uh, which I think is a very beneficial thing to do. Now, again, there's more administrative costs there as well, uh, just because then you cannot just have tax-free distributions. You have to pay yourself a reasonable compensation. So there's going to be some payroll requirements as well, which, you know, there's a little cost to to account for those, but that that cost is not nearly worth the the benefit of, of doing this. Yeah, definitely. But that's really only once you start making some real money, right? Uh, correct. You know, I'm, well, every, again, every circumstance is different. But, you know, if, you, if, if you're showing, I mean, it doesn't have to be even a, a large, large profit, but to, to maybe warrant an S election. But every situation is a little bit different. Okay, gotcha. Going back to just being a normal, regular game designer, just starting out. So I have my LLC going. I haven't signed any contracts. I haven't brought any money in. So everything I'm doing is is a loss, right? What I'm paying for prototype components or you know doing different things. Maybe maybe I hired a graphic designer to help me make a better prototype or make a sell sheet, things like that. This is all loss. And so what do I need to be thinking about as far as how much money I'm spending? You know, going in the negative. Is there something I have to worry about, or does the government look at? Does the government start thinking? Well, this you're trying to make your business and hobby. It's really a hobby. It's not actually a business. Is, is there anything I need to be thinking about on those terms? Yes, I mean, so when you when you have a loss, you're limited to your at risk there. You know the, the amount of money that you, you put in, and again, the, the hobby loss loss rules are, you know, they're pretty pretty strict there. So you you basically got to prove that you're in this to to make money to you know, for, for business purposes to make a profit. Uh, and, you know, the, the IRS is, like I said, they're, they're pretty strict. If, if they consider this a hobby, you're not going to be able to deduct all those losses. Okay. And how, how can you prove that you're actively trying to make a go at it? Maybe, maybe you got lots of games. You just hadn't got them signed yet, right? Yeah. I mean, again, every, every situation is a little bit different. And the, the big thing is just, you, again, your, it's your profit motivation. It, it's how much time you spend on the activity itself uh and i think that that's key right there you know if, if this is your your dream here and you're actively participating in this activity quite a bit i think you've got a, a good leg to stand on there that this is for business and your, your long-term goal is to make a profit 
Right. And how do you show that maybe on paper? You know, if you get audited or something like that, how can you kind of prove that? Well, I mean, you're going to it's going to even come down to, you know, all your your hours tracking and, and how much you, st- uh, you know, spend on basically that that particular activity, uh, whether you have budgets out there, whether you even have uh, long term projections out there, what your your business plan is, basically, uh, all those little items will help proving and help prove that you are in this to make a profit, that this is not just a hobby, that this is a business. Okay, cool. And so even if I'm just by myself, you know, single member LLC, just doing, just starting out, I should still be tracking the amount of time I'm spending per week on game design, maybe tracking specifically what I'm working on, tracking events, tracking the the budget and how much money I'm spending, how much money I'm putting into the company, uh, creating a business plan, like you said. Even I've even see, seen some people suggest that you should have business meetings, even though it's just you and, but writing down the minutes and kind of going through the full business meeting process, even though you're basically meeting with yourself, but still tracking it and having a written copy of those things is, is, am I on the right track here? Oh yeah. I mean, that's all good things to do. I mean, even, especially if you're a corporation, you know, uh, your, your board mates, you should be keeping track of. So that, that is all information that you should be writing down. And I mean, and every company that does plan on being successful should have a business plan in place. I mean, you have to have long-term goals out there to, to grow and make sure that you're meeting everything that you set out to meet. Uh, not just for, for even tax purposes or, or hobby loss rules, uh, but just to be successful. I mean, I don't, you know, I haven't dealt with too many individuals who are getting involved in board game design just as a hobby. You know, they, their, their goal is to make money off of this. You know, their, their goal is not to, you know, spend a bunch of time and money and not get anything back in return. You know, their, their goal is to basically, and hopefully in the long term, make this their full-time career. Yeah, that's a great point. And even the people that are listening to this thinking, well, no, it, it really is my hobby. Yeah, but if you want your game on store shelves, if you want a, a, a publishing company to sign your game, any of those things, it's business. And so even if it is like your kind of hobby side, you know, passion kind of thing, there's still a lot of business aspects of it that are involved that you need to be thinking about and protecting yourself uh, with contracts, with, you know, doing things uh, business-wise so you, you're not putting yourself at risk you know, creating a plan, all these different things, even if your, your long-term goal isn't to make a bunch of money, well, it still involves money. And so you need to be doing the things that kind of go along with that. Oh yes, definitely. Okay. Now, do you have any advice on places to start an LLC? I have used legalzoom.com. I've had pretty good success with that. Any advice as far as like actually starting the entity, the business entity? So are you more referring to like, just, just getting everything organized? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just basically starting the business, making sure the paperwork with your state government and the federal government gets filed, all those things. Like I said, I use LegalZoom. Is that something you would recommend or do you have another website or another method of doing it that you would suggest? That might be okay. You know, uh, if you're basically getting involved, though, with, you know, if you have numerous people and say it's a partnership, uh, corporation or anything like that, you know, maybe your best bet too is to, to talk to an attorney. You know, if you're a single member LLC coming up with maybe an operating agreement might be simple, you know. Uh, but if you got other individuals involved, I would definitely recommend meeting with an attorney and seeing what the, the best course of action is there. You know, and they can definitely help getting registered with the, the, whatever particular secretary of state that the, the company is getting organized under. And getting everything started there. Yeah, definitely. I was listening to a podcast the other day uh, from a business guru kind of guy. Got kind of made all his money in real estate, and uh, they got to talking about contracts. And he said, "Well, I don't, I don't call these agreements. I call them disagreements because the only time we look at them is when we're disagreeing about something. But you want to make sure you mm-hmm. have something in place when you do disagree about how the profits are being split or about how work is being split up or, or shared or whatever it is. You want to have something in place that protects everybody involved, even if you know you're in a 
a business partnership with your best friend, you grew up together, all that kind of thing. You definitely want to have something that just protects everybody and it, that you can point to and say, yeah, but this is what we signed on. This is what we agreed on. And it just makes things better long term. You don't have to worry as much just in case things do happen to go bad. So I would definitely agree with, with that as far as going to an attorney, finding somebody who knows what they're doing, paying the money. Don't be cheap on these things. Right? This is not the corner to cut. Yeah, I mean, just paying for the services now is going to make your life easier in the long run because inevitably there is going to be something that comes around in which there's going to be gray areas and you know your your operating agreement should be able to tell you exactly what to do there and the last thing you want to do is you know create a tiff within you know your your company for you being uh, being able to say hey i think we're leaning more this way and Say your business partner is like, no, you know, I, I think this can be interpreted this way. You know, having that agreement in place, I think, you know, settles everything. It, if there's a gray area, you can immediately handle it up front when you're getting the business organized. So I, I think it just leads to, to a better business plan. Basically, you know what to focus on. You're going to focus just on growing the company. You're not going to be worrying about, you know, the operating basically the, the operating agreement that it's in place, you know, whether that was sufficient, you know, the attorney should have this all taken care of for you. And, you know, I, I think that is the best approach. Yeah. Now, do you have any advice on maybe some basic things people want to make sure they put in the operating agreement to, you know, just kind of make sure you have these few things, anything like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, ultimately, you always want to, you know, have Again, everybody who you want to have which type of entity you're organized as. Um, a lot of times I'll be, you know, if, if, if you got your articles of incorporation and stuff like that, then, of course, you're, you're a corporation. But, you know, you want to have all the members in there. You want to have your income allocations. You want to have what basis of accounting that you're going to use. You want to have basically anything, how things are going to be handled just in case a partner or, or even a shareholder wants to, to sell, you know, who gets first rights. If, if it, you know, one of the partners or members passes away, you want to have wording in there of how to handle it. You know, it's all those little things that, that you need to think about. And you need to have basically a, also a little clause about what percentage of ownership there needs to be to make decisions regarding operations and even just big managerial decisions related to the company as whole as a whole, you want to be able to have a clause in there stating, all right, hey, you need at least 60% of the ownership to, to agree in order to make this change or to take the company in this direction. You just want to make sure you have all those bases covered. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right. So we talked a little bit about LLCs and whatnot. Tell me more about corporations. What are the different things I need to think about? Different ways. Is there a different method of creating that as opposed to an LLC? Just kind of give me more background on incorporating. Yeah. I mean, that you would incorporate with, with your particular state and every state's a little bit different. So depending on which state you get incorporated in, the, the filing requirements are a little bit different for the states. But yeah, you can, you can actually you know, either be incorporated as an S corp, C corp, uh, there's different treatment for, for those, um, an S corporation, all the items of income and loss flow through on a schedule K one to the shareholders, individual income tax returns and the income or losses reported there. Like I said, there too, with an S corp, you need reasonable compensation, uh, to be paid. You can't, everything cannot just be through a, a distribution, there needs to be compensation paid to the shareholders and depend, you know, when you look at the reasonable compensation, every situation is different there. You know, you have to factor in total amounts taken out your total bottom line, uh, the industry that you're in. So, but the, the items of income that are passed through on the schedule K one then are not subject to self-employment. So that's one of the big benefits of an S corp. And now when you say it, you're saying it has to go through like a payroll system and you make like a, a monthly or biweekly or something like that paycheck, just like you would working for, for any company. It works okay. out the same versus like an LLC where it's like, oh, I need I need a thousand dollars so I can just go in the bank account, transfer a thousand dollars over. It doesn't work that way with an S Corp, right? That is correct. You can have distributions from an S Corp. Uh, they have to be in proportion to ownership, uh, but you also have to pay yourself a reasonable compensation. 
So you just cannot take everything out of the company as a, as a distribution. So you, you do have to have payroll, you know, depending on the payroll amount could be monthly by, you know, biweekly, it just depends on, on your payroll amounts, how often you're, you're paid and, and everything along those lines. But I, I still do recommend, you know, especially once you, you get into that area where you're having higher taxable income, if you're an LLC to potentially think about making an election to be taxed as an S corporation. And then, you know, you, and that's not, you're not incorporated at the state level. You're still as an LLC, but for tax purposes, you could make an election to be taxed as an S corp. If, if when you were organized, you did not set it up as a corporation. Okay. Now, is there any advantage to incorporating from the beginning or, or turning your LLC into an incorporation, not just for tax purposes, but just in general? Uh, potentially, yes. You know, especially if, you know, you have potential outside investors, you know, they may prefer that this be a corporation and, you know, um, for, for shares purposes, you can have different classes of shares and everything along those lines, vesting, all those items, you know, especially if you're, you're going to do some, some funding. So there are those particular benefits of incorporating. You know, if, if you're going to go, if you're an LLC, you know, you know, you can, you can file a conversion to be, to become a corporation, but you know, you, you'll then have to deal with your attorney on getting that done. You know, it depends on, again, this is where the, the planning phase comes in, how you want to uh, structure your company and what are your, your long-term goals? You know, if it's immediately to seek outside investors through some funding, fundraising, and everything along those lines, maybe your best bet is to set up a corporation. And, you know, but if you are mainly starting this with you and some other business partners and your eyes are just to grow this within your group, then you can maybe start an LLC and just then make the election to be taxed as uh, an S corp or potentially, you know, depending if, and there's, you can also make the election for an LLC to be taxed as a C corporation as well. But again, that you're only going to, you're going to need to know what your, your long-term plan is there. You know, if your goal is to leave the profits in the company and not take anything out except for your W2 wages, then maybe a C corp does make sense because with the C corp, you know, you, you do have to have compensation there as well, but the income is taxed at the corporate level on the corporate return. And if you do take money out, you'll be subject to, uh, basically it'll be considered a, a dividend and you'll be taxed on that as well. There are no tax-free distributions there. Gotcha. Okay. That leaves, that's definitely a, a few things to think about. Now, if I'm just a game designer, not publishing games, not doing anything like that, but I'm signing contracts, right? I sign a contract with another publishing company. Should I do that? Should I sign that contract as my business? Is that, is that a smarter thing to do? Yes, that is, you know, if, if you, if you're just basically say you're just designing games for another company, again, you can set yourself up as an S corp, for example, you would want to set that up and have the contract would be between the S corp and the other, you know, whatever company it is that you're, that you're working with to design those games. And basically all the income will flow through. You have to set up a company account. All the income will go into there. And then again, you'll you'll have your, your reasonable compensation paid out. But then all of that, that income that is earned will not be subject to self-employment. Okay, very cool. And now another thing we probably should have mentioned a minute ago when you're setting everything up, make sure you set up separate bank accounts for everything you're doing. Have a separate PayPal account. Separate everything out because that just protects you in the long term, right? That is correct. And in order, you know, even to, to open up in a, a separate bank, bank account, each, you know, financial institution is going to require an EIN for that particular company. So that is something also that you, you're going to want to do on the front end. Yeah. Now explain what an EIN is. It's just an employer identification number. Basically, that's what the IRS uses to, to recognize these entities. Right. And so whenever you submit your, your paperwork and everything for your business to the government, they will send you back the EIN that then you can use to open, you know, if you want to go to Wells Fargo or Bank of America, whatever, you're going to need that number to open a bank account. You'll need that number 
uh, if for other things, like if you're going to run a Kickstarter, you're going to need that EIN for Kickstarter, uh, for Amazon, anything that you're going to do, they're going to need that number. That way they can report the numbers to the government to fulfill their side of the bargain, you know, not just uh, for your side. Now, what do I need to be thinking about if I'm a game designer, just signing contracts with other companies and I live in the States, but I sign a contract with a company that's based out of Canada or Germany or somewhere else, then what do I need to be thinking about? That's a complicated question, you know, in regards to, you know, you, you're doing the work here in your, your home, say your home state, you know, that's, you're going to want to set up the company here in the, well, in whatever particular state you're working at. And if the work was done in that state, that's where you should be filing. Now, if you start going up to say Canada to work, that's when everything gets complicated and, you know, there'll be some additional work that will be required to make sure that, you know, you potentially don't have a, a filing requirement in Canada. And then, you know, what type of credit potentially could you get here in the U.S.? Uh, it, I mean, it all depends on the number of days that you're working in, in different locations. Okay. And so let me make sure I'm understanding you right. If I'm a designer, I sign a contract with a company in Germany or Canada or somewhere else, I still have to pay U.S. taxes on that money, even though it's from a Canadian company or a German company, I still pay U.S. taxes on the money. That is correct. I mean, you're doing all the work here in the, the U.S. Uh, the money is going into your U.S. bank account. I mean, you have Nexus here. You're, you're doing the work here. So you would be subject to U.S. tax, even though the money could be coming from outside of the country. Okay, that makes sense. Now let's do the, the reverse side. Let's say I'm Canadian and I sign a, a contract with a company in the U.S., then do I have to pay any U.S. taxes or are there any fees or anything like that I need to be aware of from the U.S. side if I'm an international uh, person? Again, that's kind of a kind of a complicated question there. You know, where it depends on how much time you do spend here in the States. Um, and again, you know, I'm not familiar. I particularly in my area of expertise is not international. So, you know, that would require potentially some some research to see if there's a filing requirement there. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think everything we say here today goes with, you know, take it all with a grain of salt. Make sure you're talking to somebody in your state, in your country, about all the different laws, because it's different no matter where you go. You know, we're, we're speaking very generally, general terms and, and concepts right now. And so make sure you're not just taking everything we say is 100% God's honest truth, but actually taking this as an idea and then going and learning more specifically, either talking to an accountant that lives near you or, you know, at least is familiar with the specifics of the situation you're dealing with, right? Yes, that is correct. I mean, the big thing is just recognizing, hey, is there an issue here? And then letting us know about it. And that way we can look into it for you. The, the big thing is just saying, okay, here's what we're going to, just laying out the facts. And before anything is completed, you know, to talk to your CPA beforehand. That's the big thing. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Is there anything else that I need to be thinking about if I'm just a designer? I want to get into like if I want to run a Kickstarter and things like that in just a minute. But if I'm just a designer, just signing contracts, anything else I need to be thinking about or be aware of? I mean, I think we, we covered pretty much everything. Um, you know, if you're just basically a designer, you're most likely just going to be a, a tax, you know, a cash basis taxpayer. When you receive the, the cash is when you're going to include it in income. So, you know, you just want to be prepared for that. Make sure you, depending on how you're organized, make sure you have all your, your quarterly estimates out there. If you're an S corp or a C corp, you know, make sure that you have payroll. There's administrative costs there. So I think that is the main things that we, we covered. Okay. Gotcha. And now go into a little bit more depth though, with the whole quarterly estimates. What exactly is that? How do I pay those? What should I be thinking about with those? So basically, if, if your company is a partnership or an S-Corp, that income is going to flow through on your Schedule K-1 to your 1040. So, you know, the IRS basically is saying, hey, to avoid any underpayment penalties, you need to have, depending on what your AGI was in the prior year, you need to either have 100% or 110% of your prior year tax. Now, what is AGI real quick? That's your adjusted gross income on your 1040. Either you have to have basically 100 or 110% of your prior year tax liability paid in or 90% of your current year liability paid in to avoid any underpayment penalties. So, and they, they do have to be paid equally under four, four quarters. Well, not necessarily equally. You can 
annualize your, your, depending on, you know, your quarterly income. But you do have to pay in taxes quarterly to avoid any underpayment penalties. If you're if your withholding is not sufficient to cover, you know, your either your hundred ten percent of prior year tax or your ninety percent of current year tax. Gotcha. So you're basically making an educated guess on the money you think you're going to make based on the previous year, just to make sure you're covered. Because if you if you underpay, what do the penalties look like from the IRS? I mean, they're they're not. It also depends on the amount that you owe, but they're not, they're not crazy, but I mean, no one wants to give money away. Right. In a perfect world, it's not necessarily an educated guess, you know, because if you want to stick to maybe paying in 90% of your current year tax, you know, the, the big thing is having your records completely up to date. So you kind of know where you stand. So quarterly, you kind of compare, can prepare a projection to see what your projected liability is going to be. So, you know, you might have to do, have a, an educated guess of how the rest of the year looks. But, you know, up through that current period, your, your record should be hopefully up to date. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And so how do I do that? So if I'm just a normal employee, you know, I've never run a business or anything like that, but now I'm making a little bit of money from game design. How do I pay the IRS? Like normally my, my employer, they just take it out of my check. It's fine. So how do I exactly send money to the IRS now in 2020? Because I feel like it might be a little bit different than it, uh, than it used to be. Well, you know, you, everything's done through, we have these quarterly estimate vouchers. So we would send you a copy of those estimate vouchers and you would include a check payable with those vouchers. And those would just be mailed in to, to the IRS. Okay, so it is still mailed. Like I don't. Am I able to do it online? Yes, there are some links to do it online. Of course, there are fees, you know, third-party fees to, to pay online. Uh, but some people find it a little bit easier to do it that way. But you know, a lot of people actually they don't. They again, they don't want to give any money away that they don't have to. You know, which is the smart thing to do. So they just rather mail check in with with the voucher itself. Yeah, that makes sense. Unless you live in Honduras, in that case, online is a little bit easier than sending a check in the mail. And then, you know, <laughs> even with a, a corporation, you know, we, we haven't really ta- talked too much about a, a corporation yet. How, But but that also, if you say you're a C-Corp, you do have to make quarterly payments there as well. Okay, so it wouldn't just be you personally making quarterly payments. In addition to that, you'd also have to make quarterly payments for your company. Well, you, again... It, if it's a C corp, the the you as an owner may not need to make uh, quarterly estimates because you know say say you're organized as a C corp uh, or incorporated as a C corp because you intend to keep the profits in the company. You're only getting a W two wage. You're going to have withholding on those wages, so hopefully that's sufficient to cover your income. And then you're only going to have the estimated payments at the C corp level then. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And so let's switch gears just a little bit. And let's talk about if I want to run a Kickstarter, but I'm not trying to really, you know, be a publishing company necessarily. I just want to do one game. I'm really, it's my heart's desire. It's been my dream to get this game I've been working on for a decade published, whatever. What do I need to be thinking about in in that realm? So we've already incorporated, or not incorporated, or maybe you've already started a business, right? Whether you're just designing games or not, or going deeper, you still need to have an an LLC or an S-Corp, something like that to for all sorts of tax reasons. But now I want to actually get into the publishing side. And so I'm just going to do one game. What do I need to be thinking about? Well, again, we first thing, of course, like we already discussed, you know, you have to have that entity structure set up. Uh, you know, you, you want to think about your, your method of accounting first off, you know, well, not first off, but after, after you got to that point where you're, you're, you're starting on the Kickstarter and everything along those lines, you want to think about the, the method that you're an account for, for these games and your basis of accounting. So ultimately with the accrual method of accounting, you can potentially have up to a one year deferral period for the most kick when those Kickstarter funds are received. So you want to think about, Hey, when, when do I want to make sure this Kickstarter is funded? If you receive the funds at, you know, the end of the year, basically you only have 12 months to get the item shipped before you have to recognize that as, as revenue. If you receive the Kickstarter funds early in the year, you have basically a little bit more time to get the production process complete and get those shipped. You know, it used to be you had a two-year 
deferral period, but with the last reform, it, it is now a one-year period. And that's that's assuming that you don't have audited financials. If you do have audited financials, you know, there there is a new, I think it's 606 actually, is the new auditing standard that they have out there. And, you know, I think that's going to change how advanced payments are handled for companies that are having audited financials prepared. Uh, but I don't think a lot of the clients that, you know, are going through the Kickstarter are, are even worried about that. So I think their main focus would be just that one year deferral period. Okay. And now when you say deferral, help me understand what that means exactly. So basically, if you're a cash basis taxpayer, when you receive that cash, that is when it is recognized as revenue. Now, if you're an accrual basis taxpayer, you can't, once you receive that revenue, you can defer it until the items, your products are shipped. But it's only now a maximum one year deferral period. So if you receive, say, the, the Kickstarter funds in 2020, they have to be recognized as revenue by 2021. So in order for the, the matching principle, you, you would want to make sure that you get those games shipped by 2021 so you can recognize, have all those costs associated with that product so you can recognize those. Gotcha. And I can still recognize the cost for art and graphic design and anything, prototypes, anything like that, without having to recognize the income until later. Correct. I mean, a lot of those costs are going to be before you even sometimes even before you, you get, receive the Kickstarter funds, you know, you're going to have a lot of those costs already basically expensed. And the big costs that are, you're going to have to account for your inventory on the, on the balance sheets. You know, you're not going to be able to expense the manufacturing costs until those items are shipped. But a lot of those design costs will probably happen before some of them will happen before you actually receive the, the Kickstarter funds. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you just talked about basically the, the accrual method. What are the other, are there other bases, base, bases for accounting? Yeah. I mean, it's the cash method of accounting. That's basically recognizing items. Once you receive the cash to recognize it as, as received, you know, in the revenue account, uh, the one thing there is you don't necessarily have the matching, you know, the revenue expense matching that you would with the accrual method. And I, I do prefer their accrual method uh, to be used with individuals who do have or companies that have inventory. Uh, I think it's just, you know, with the matching, I think it's a more fair representation of where the company's at. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, if I'm going to choose the accrual method, is there like a checkbox on my taxes I have to tick or like, how do I, how do I tell the government this is what I'm doing? I'm doing? I mean, that's to tell the government there, it's just a, a checkbox on the, on the tax return. Again, you could always too put in the operating agreement, you know, which basis of accounting you're, you're going to use, method of accounting you're going to use. But, you know, in order to let the IRS know, it's just a, a check, a box to check. Okay, cool. Now, when it comes to sales tax, when I'm running a Kickstarter, what do I need to be thinking about with that? Because, you know, the Kickstarter system doesn't make it easy to figure out where, you know, all the different people are coming from as far as what state and things like that. Do I need to use a pledge manager? Help me understand paying sales tax from a Kickstarter project? Yeah, so, you know, everything changed with the Wayfair case. Now, here at Anders, we have a whole SALT group, state local tax, that focuses solely on that. It is not my particular area of expertise. A lot of my clients do utilize our services, but I just, they, they're working with the, the SALT group here. But, you know, the big thing is, you know, it, it's just not about, uh, physical nexus anymore. There's economic nexus. So, you know, depending on the, the number of transactions you have within a state, uh, the number, uh, the amount of those transactions could trigger an economic nexus and require you to, to file a sales tax return in a particular state, even though you'd never touched or stepped foot into that state. So every state's a little bit different. Those sales need to be tracked per state. You know, I know Shopify, you're allowed to turn on a feature that does that for you. But the, the big thing is keeping track of that so we can do an app, prepare an analysis to see which states you're required to pay sales tax in. 
Okay. And do a lot of companies use a, a pledge manager to figure that out? Or like, I'm just trying to think through how do you do that with Kickstarter? That's, you know, I am, I'm not a hundred percent positive how each individual company is handling that. Uh, I think that would probably be the easiest and most efficient way was probably a pledge master, but I don't know if there's any other options available out there to, to track sales per state. I'm sure there is, but I might, I'm just not familiar with that particular program. Yeah. Cause I know, you know, I use WooCommerce for my personal company website and that, that makes it real easy. Like you said, Shopify, a lot of these apps or softwares that, that create the ability to take money and, you know, make sales and stuff. They have, you know, boxes you can check to say, yeah, charge sales tax. Here's the rate and different things like that. They make it easy. But Kickstarter is a little bit more of a conundrum. You might have to go through a pledge manager or do something a little bit different just to make sure you're paying the uh, the right amount of, of sales tax. Now, let's talk from a, all right, so I've got my game. I've got freelancers now, illustrators, artists, graphic designers, you know, people I'm paying probably a lot of money to in, in the thousands of dollars to. And so it is my responsibility to tell the government how much money they're making, right? And then kind of go through the whole W-9. So let's talk about W-9s and how it works and what I need to be thinking about when I need to make sure I'm giving, you know, certain forms out and things like that. Tell me about that side. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you got an, an artist working for you and, and you're paying them some independent contractor compensation, you need to issue them a, a 1099 for those services. And, you know, you also need to issue 1099 for any legal fees, fees that you pay to your, your CPA as well. But yeah, you would request the W-9 from those, you know, independent contractors. And I had actually, I actually request, would recommend requesting that before you even pay them. And if they refuse to give you one, then I would actually cut ties with that particular contractor. But yeah, you would need a W-9 and that, that should provide all the information required to, to fill out and complete a, a 1099. Gotcha. And just so everybody's clear, a W-9 is a form that you can get from the government. It's easy to download. You can probably just Google W-9 form and, and download one, a PDF off the internet. And it just gives basic information to be able to fill out other parts of your tax return uh, later for your company and, and things like that. Now, the 1099, is, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, you know, I think if you use like Quicken or Intuit, in any of these uh, programs, they can generate them for you. But like, tell me a little bit more about the 1099 is just to make sure somebody's doing it correctly. Yeah. So basically, if you're, you're paying, you know, just say your standard independent contractor, you know, you're, you're say you're paying them over $600, you should be issuing them a 1099 for non-employee compensation. Well, depending on what the type of the payment, you know, depends on what box it goes to. But, you know, say you're paying an, an artist and it, it's just for their services. It would go into, I think, I believe it's box seven, uh, non-employee compensation. So, you you know, you'll, the W-9 provides that you receive from this particular independent contractor provides their social, their address, all that information that you're going to need to put on that 1099. And you're going to have to keep track of your total payments to that particular contractor. And that total payments would be input on the 1099. Right. And this is just to make sure that the government knows how much that contractor owes the government for their taxes, right? Yeah, basically it's to make sure that they're reporting that full amount as income. Cause you know, that's easy because you're filing this tenant, you're not just giving the 1099 to the recipient, you're filing it with the IRS and potentially every state's different, but some states actually have uh, a filing requirement where, you know, you'll have to send in a copy of the 1099 to that particular state if the work was completed there. Uh, and again, it's for the state to know, hey, this person has a filing requirement. But yeah, the, the 1099 that you file with the IRS, it's for them to match up to that independent contractor's tax return. Right. And now, is there a certain date that I have to send certain information anywhere? Like with the W-2, your employer is like legally required to send it to you by a certain time in January, I believe. Is it the same? It's basically the same. You need to get that to the, the independent contractors by the end of January. Okay, cool. Now, is there anything else, a person that just wants to run one Kickstarter, right? Just trying to do one project, anything else they need to be thinking about from the tax and accounting side of things? I, I think that's it. You know, and again, you know, when you're, when you're starting the company, you want to think about this. Hey, this is a one-time thing. How much time do I want? How much time and, and resources do I want to spend getting this company set up, thinking about how we're going to get this company organized? 
you know, if it's a one-time thing, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're, you're not wasting your, your resources or your money potentially, Hey, I'm only going to make a small amount of profit. Maybe an escort might not be ideal then, you know, maybe I just have it on my schedule C and not have to worry about filing a whole, a whole nother tax return, having to deal with potential payroll. You know, I, I think that's kind of the big thing to think of before you even start raising money for the Kickstarter. Gotcha. All right, let's switch gears. Let's talk about, all right, I want to start a company and I want to do this long-term. I want this to maybe one day become my full-time job. I want to do multiple projects. Maybe I want to sign games from other designers. What are some things I really need to be thinking about to to do a full-on long-term publishing company? A lot of it's kind of what we, we already discussed. You know, you want to have your, your business plan is going to be a big thing to do up front. Uh, getting your Articles of incorporation are your potential operating agreement in place, getting, you know, your EIN, and then that that's kind of where you start. And then you want to, I guess, you know, just even outside of the accounting aspect of things, have, you know, your long-term goals, what, what you want this business to become. Is it mainly going to be a closely held type corporation or are you going to look actively look for outside investors to, to help fund the company additional projects? Cause that could all sway how you want to classify your, your company. And then you, you just want to continue to focus on, you know, once say you, you've done a few Kickstarters and you're, you, you got your, your big board games that you want to work on. You want to focus on the ones that are, basically producing the largest profits. You know, you want to look at basically gross margin, profit margin per item. You want to keep everything up to date in for your accounting records to kind of know where you stand and just to make the correct business decisions. You're not going to, if you don't have up to date accounting records, you're not going to know, Hey, what items producing the, the largest profits here? Where do we stand? How, you know, I, you're not going to be able to make the, the, correct business decisions if you don't have everything up to date. I mean, I do recommend every month making sure that your, your accounting records are, are up to date to make sure they're, you, you truly know where you stand. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any advice or any uh, suggestions or recommendations for softwares to use or anything that works really well, especially to make it easy on a CPA, you know, when it is tax time, that way they can go in, they don't have to spend a whole bunch of extra hours. And in that case, cost you a bunch of extra money. Uh, anything you recommend that makes that whole process easier? Yeah, I mean, QuickBooks is is definitely a good uh, software to use. Whether you use QuickBooks Online or you know a desktop version, they're they're all pretty similar to get us the information and, and get us what we need to prepare a tax return. You know, it's, a lot of companies are not keeping track of inventory within QuickBooks, especially if you're doing everything through a Kickstarter. So you will have to have potentially a separate program to track your, your inventory that is on hand at the end of each, you know, accounting period, but making an entry into to QuickBooks, once you have that figure is, is quite easy. So I, I do recommend QuickBooks. I, I think it's the, probably one of the, the cheaper softwares available in order to get you what the information that you'll need. Gotcha. Anything that I need to be thinking about that's maybe different if I'm going to do a long-term you know, publishing company, is there anything different to really think about from what we've already been talking about? Well, from, from a tax planning standpoint, it is just from you know your entity type of a classification. If your goal is definitely long-term, you're definitely not going to be like, all right, let's just focus on a potentially a single-member LLC. Because when you start making a fair amount of money, maybe you do want to make that that election to be taxed as an S corp and that start paying yourself a reasonable wage and, and keep growing the company. You know, the big thing is though, too, as you're growing, you need to have your, your trusted advisors in place because you need to, your job should be to focus on growing the company. You shouldn't have to be worried about, all right, uh, I got to do uh, my GL, you know, general ledger work on, on my QuickBooks file tonight. You know, you need to have those people either within, you know, your company who you trust to help with the accounting, or you need to have yourself a good CPA who is you trust as well to help with your accounting. 
So that way you can mainly focus on what you need to do to grow the company. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's something I highly recommend as well is going out and finding people who are experts, who are really good at the things that you're not any good at, and then being willing to pay them what it costs for, for their services, whether it's a, a lawyer, a CPA, whatever. You know, I, I'm an awful artist, so I'm not going to draw the cards for my next game. That would be ridiculous. Uh, I'm also not any good at accounting, so I'm not going to try to do it all myself when I can go out and find uh, a CPA or accounting firm, especially one that focuses in Kickstarter or this style of business. That's another thing to think about. You know, does the accountant that you're working with understand the ins and outs of this type of structure, this kind of, uh, of uh, way of doing things? Because Kickstarter is a little bit different than a lot of other things. And so what would be your advice uh, for that? Basically, if I'm going to go interview an accountant to see if they'd be good for my company, what are some things I should be asking them just to make sure they understand how it works for Kickstarter and, and kind of the game business. One of the, probably the, the first thing you ask is if, you know, if they're familiar with, with Kickstarter, uh, if they have any clients that have ever utilized Kickstarter, even whether they have basically a, a niche within their firm that specializes in startup type entities. Uh, here at Anders, we have a, a whole niche that focuses solely on startup. So, I mean, we're, we have plenty of resources here to, to, you know, work with those companies that are going through this process of starting up, that are going through the process of funding, that are just looking, hey, what is the best in any type structure? So I think those are the, the, the main questions you need to, to ask each CPA that you talk to to make sure you're, you're working with the individual that can provide you the best services. Awesome. Justin, it's been great. Do you have any closing thoughts? You know, what would you tell people that are sitting there wondering how in the world do I do this? Uh, you know, they're, they're, they've been wanting to start their own business, their own company, LLC, something like that, but they've been afraid to screw it up because they don't want to have to owe the government all these fees and penalties, things like that. What would you tell people just kind of as a closing thought that are dealing with the accounting side of game design? Basically, I would tell, you know, the individuals, let us worry about it. You know, that's, that's kind of what I, I like to tell my, my clients, you know, uh, trust us, reach out, especially in the beginning. Right now, I, you know, especially in the, in the startup phase, I, I want my clients to be focusing on the right things, growing their business, how to make money. I don't want them worrying about, you know, the accounting side, the tax side. That's, that's my job. So I, I tell everybody, hey, just, you know, you want to be proactive. Contact your CPA first. Let them assist you with the, the, your business decisions just to take the pressure off you. The big thing is, like I said, when we, when I have clients worrying, most of the time I can help them within 10 minutes, help them come up with an answer. And, you know, all that time that they could, could have saved worrying, you know, they, if they would have just contacted me in the beginning, they, they wouldn't have had those scary thoughts that they've been having. So, you know, I think the big thing is just being proactive with your CPA and talking to them first and using them to help relieve the stress. Definitely. I could not agree more. Well, hey, Anders, CPA and advisors, are you guys taking on clients right now? Uh, of course. Um, right now, we're, we're always, always open for, for new business. You know, we have a whole startup niche uh, that we're really active in. And, you know, I personally love working with startups, you know, just because I love watching businesses grow. That's, that's one of the best things to, to do is watching people succeed. And that is one of my areas of, of expertise. So I would highly recommend anybody who's got any questions or are looking for a CPA to definitely contact us here at Anders. I think we have, we, we offer a wide variety of services. Any services that they're looking for, we, we basically have. We even have a, a whole IT department. So, I mean, we, we, we have your accounting services, your, your tax, audit, investment, you know, IT. So we're kind of a one-stop shop here. I, I do highly rec recommend us as a, as a firm. Of course, I might be a little biased, but uh, I'm really happy with the, the line of work that I'm in. And like I said, startup, I think, is a good area here at, at Anders. And we, we do work with a lot of startup clients. Very cool. And like I said, Jamie Stegmeyer uses this company. I use this company. Where can people find you if they want to get in contact with you or, you know, maybe start a relationship? Yeah, they, they can 
find me. My email address is jmarty, M-A-R-T-Y, at anderscpa.com. Uh, people are free to call me as well. My, my number is 314-655-5577. Uh, we do have a, a website which has all of my information along with all my colleagues. Um, every one of us have a, has a little bio out there. So you can also visit the Anders CPAs and Advisors website as well if you just kind of want to get a background of some of the individuals that you potentially could be working with. Very cool. What's the URL for that? That is just anderscpa.com. Cool. That's A-N-D-E-R-S-C-P-A.com. Well, Justin, man, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a wealth of information. Good luck with uh, tax season. And uh, yeah, just good luck with getting more clients, more business. I'm excited to be working with you and I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?